position. Affirmative. Negative. I am the milkman. My milk is delicious. Roger that. Okay, let's go. Welcome to the Best Linux Games Podcast. Go, go, go! The best Linux games, the best games available for the uh, GNU slash Linux operating system via the mechanism and distribution network known as Steam, brought to you by Valve. After 700,000 years, the Steam has come to Linux, and beyond that, it has come to Linux in the form of the egalitarian Linux-like platform, Steam, an open marketplace in which Everyone, total meritocracy, everyone, regardless of size, amount of money, regardless of amount of developers, and prospective sales. But if you have a game, and it is good, then get time and it will thrive. And you will be rewarded. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Saturday, and that means it's time for one thing. It's time for the podcast where the quality goes in before the name goes on. You're listening to the Best Linux Games Podcast, a companion piece to the uh, Steam group of the same name. Find us on Steam, you know, uh, join us on Steam, and friend me on Steam. My name is Scooky Sprite. I am your host. In case this is your first time here, uh, the ground rules for everything that we do are very simple. We have news. We have the latest titles that we are interested in. Of course, features, you know, like kind of in-depth looks or reviews. And then we have, of course, everyone's favorite the deals! Uh, the best games that you can buy for as cheap as possible. If you join us on the group, our recommendations are curated with the sole criteria of... It must run on Linux, and it must be really good. These are recommendations only, of course. Uh, not complete reviews, which generally will follow, um, especially once they get some other mofos on this show. And as always, the content that awaits you ahead may not be appropriate for members of all species, races, genders, classes, creeds, and especially might not be age or work appropriate. So, it begins. Let's get the Linux gaming on, bitches! Hello, and welcome to episode number 152 of the Best Linux Games Podcast, being recorded for you on this very late Tuesday, uh, the 26th of September, 2017, 17.24pm, and for our sequel friends, of course, 2017, 09.26, 17.25pm, Pacific Coast time, the coast of the most, uh, it's Glorious Tuesday. Crack Engineer Ivor Molina over there in the booth holding up the whiskey sign. Ooh, let's have some whiskey. Whiskey, where? Whiskey, where? Pig. Cheers. Ooh. Mmm. Super ton of shit to talk about this week. Uh, hence us being late. So, Ivor, hit us with the top stories. Oh, that's right. There is no. Yeah, okay. I guess we don't have a bumper for top stories. We never have, have we, Ivor? Yeah. Well, you're fired for not fucking intuiting my desire for you to make one and placing it on your to do list. You're fired, Ivor. Thank you, Ivor. So, now that that's out of the way, top stories. First off, 
this week. This, man, we got so much stuff to talk about this week. First off, this week, as promised, third week or whatever of September, uh, Best Linux Games, the column, Best Linux Games weekly column has returned triumphantly, I know, and to much, to the relief and adoration of all of its, you know, fans numbering in the high single digits. Possibly. Um, at least it's gotta be, right? Uh, anyway, Best Linux Games, the column has returned this week, which can be found at, as always, www.bestlinuxgames.com, and then clicking on the link up top, where it says, column. Now, well, Matt, that secret portal will take you magically to this week's edition of the column, in which we review the excellent Jetto Mero, Hero of the Universe. He is here to help permanently, whether you like it or not. Whether you like it or not. Um, General Jet O'Mero, that's J-E-T-T-O-M-E-R-O, in our related piece of top story news, um... The other reason why we're late, apart from just being so slammed full of show for you, so overloaded with show for you, the listener, that, uh, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we were ready to go on Friday, and just things kept, more things just kept getting added. But in Jet Omero, which is a fucking awesome game, go read the review, we really, I really liked it. Um, the other thing that held us up this week is over the weekend, I was like, oh, well, you know, we should probably interview the guy behind Jet Omero, behind Ghost Time Games, Mr. Koenig. We'll have to ask him about how to pronounce his name, but, you know, yeah. Um, one-man band, one-man visual genius with nothing left to lose and no more rules left to break. Um, and awesomely enough, we will be interviewing him this week for next episode, so fucking A, get excited about that um, super pumped cause it's been a while since I've I mean, I get, I've gotten to do a lot of really cool interviews over the, you know 5,000 years of uh, both doing this show at least 5,000 years of just this show alone, but also of like, you know actual real game journalism from back in the day um, but even back in the day even when I was talking to AAA people occasionally, I hate that expression, but and they weren't called that back then. They were just, anyway. Um, it was just very rare that you ever actually get to talk directly to someone who has not just had a profound um, influence on the production of and design of a piece of a game, but is entirely responsible for it. But more importantly, it's a really, really unique game, both artistically and stylistically and stuff, very rarely do you ever get to, like, sit down with, you know, someone from, you know, someone who, from, uh, the Katamari Damashi design team or whatever, you know, blah. Jet Omero, getting to talk to Mr. Koenig, pretty close, so I'm pretty pumped about that. Um, if you have any questions that you would like to ask, if you happen to hear this, prior to, well, I can't promise that we'll be able to squeeze them in, but hit me up on Twitter at VegasWriter, V-E-G-A-S-W-R-I-T-E-R. So that's the other thing 
And that's for next week's show. We'll be having a massive developer interview with uh, Ghost Time Games. Uh, I can't remember what his first name is, but his last name is, is Koenig. Uh, creator of Jetomero Hero of the Universe. Also in our top stories for this week. Um, our feature this week is we're calling it Two Indie Experiments. A what I'm playing kind of fucking the two games that I've been playing this week that are both independently developed experiments that both try to take a unique uh, idiosyncratic approach to game design and we'll be talking about two of those games finally in our top stories and I love it when we get to do this Ivor, you're hired again and fired again preeminently retroactively preposthumously Ivor, we need a fucking bumper for, anyway for moments like this, which we featured many moments like this, this is probably like the seventh time we've done this on the show in, in our three year history those are those of you long who are longtime listeners of Best Links Games podcast know that a secret interstitial, um, you know, occasional project. It seems occasional from just the fact that we don't mention it every week, but we have in the back of our minds a humongous list of uh, game game franchises slash types of games slash uh, um. Yeah, that we would that that we feel are necessary to come to Linux so that we can be called the world class fucking preeminent platform first, or at least just being a first class citizen uh, in comparison to other lesser, um, more proprietary operating systems. Oh, and then there's iOS, which doesn't even qualify for any of these categories. Cause, I mean, that's anyway. But um, this list, which you know started about three years ago, right when we started the show, uh. If it not if not an exact specific branded franchise, then a play alike. Um, it's just been this laundry list of the types of games that I felt and still do feel and know are necessary to be available via Steam or some other, you know, blah, easy to click and play, buy, click and play seamlessly on Linux, um, for Linux to be regarded as a persuasive alternative to uh some of those uh, competing operating systems and computing platforms. So, for instance, like, we... This week's particular uh, itch list item that has been scratched, genre that has been filled is for the idea of having a theme park simulator slash roller coaster designer that actually is available for Linux. Similar to... um, Roller Coaster Tycoon, I guess. I've never played any of these games. One of them tricked me uh, in uh, 2015, Roller Coaster Tycoon World, which allegedly was supposed to have Linux support eventually. They, I ended up buying it. But anyway, we no longer have to worry about those fucking wretched offerings who, who insult us by not acknowledging us, or by even worse, lying to us that they will support us, so they suck us into getting our, giving them our money, and then they abandon us. Just like every fucking awesome microcosm of my entire fucking love life. Why? I have so much love to give. Please see previous episodes regarding friend love beams. 
Anyway, forget those people. Forget those cocksucking assholes. No, we no longer have to deal with them. Now, we can welcome Parkitect, P-A-R-K-I-T-E-C-T, which is a full-featured, full-throated, semi-isometric, semi-SimCity, fucking roller coaster theme park design simulator management fucking game. Really cool. It's not entirely super finished yet. Um, because it kind of lacks a main campaign. The main campaign, at least, that I saw during my 17 minutes of playtime, uh, was limited to, uh, it's like, oh, free mode! So you have, like, infinite money and shit, and you can build whatever you want. They, they're adding a real, legit campaign mode for the finished game. I think I remember reading some preemptive, uh, you know, dialogue window this game is not finished or whatever when I was loading it up, but it runs great on Linux and it has every type of roller coaster you could possibly make. It's kind of complicated because there is no, tut- no official tutorial that's built into the game as of yet. So, I, you know, I, I played with it for 17 minutes, made sure that, like, you know, that, like, it, it seemed legit and stuff, but it's pretty complicated. Like, I was trying to make, um, a a knockoff of the haunted house ride, which they actually have as a type of roller coaster. It's, it's called like track based spinning um, carriage ride. They have every type of roller coaster, like vertical, single line suspended, fucking dark coaster or whatever. Like everything from like oh traditional wooden roller coaster to metal roller coaster, you know, hoppy mouse roller coaster, all this shit. And then they also have every type of theme park attraction and ride, like the zipper and the other things that are just as scary as the zipper, but no one knows their names because they 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 either malfunction once every fifteen years and people are thrown sixty feet into the air when the pirate ship goes out of control. Or their operator is just yet another scary drunk child molesting ex Carney, still with a face fresh, still bereft of the cold cream necessary to remove the final remnants of his last Ed Gein caliber fucking clown paint. Yes, the roar of the grease paint, the smell of the crowd. This way, children, the ride of your under 12 ladies and gentlemen! So, none of that made any sense, but Parkitect is out for Linux. Finally, it is the first Roller coaster uh, theme park simulator uh, available for Linux. At least, you know, since we started the show. Um, and I've never found a suitable substitute. Uh, I should probably mention that Parkitect, it's P A R K I T E C T. I can't wait to go find some YouTube videos or some tutorials so I can actually, like, effectively lay out the tracks and stuff. It, it's full featured, it looks like. It doesn't look like it has the super enticing ability to like actually ride the roller coaster like in like a pseudo first person you know kind of thing but whatever this will have to do until we get that sort of stuff coaster world I think was what that game was called but anyway this is from a demi isometric you know SimCity-esque camera Parkitect runs great on Linux thank you Parkitect developers it is $17.99 and with that Let's see, uh, we got our list vacancy filled. Parkitect, congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank yous. Uh, 
for that. Uh, we got the column. Go read about Jed O'Mero. We told you what our feature is this week, two indie experiments, and that we're scheduling the review, uh, the interview with uh, man, we're so excited. Very many, very many drunk sheep. Young, drunk, underage sheep, also known as tanked use. Best thank you card I ever got in my entire life. Front of the card was just all these drunk sheep at a bar. I mean, they're just shit hammered. They're like a fraternity and stuff. And it's just filled with all of these funny things. It's like Fleece and Joe's Bar and, um, you know, don't, don't, uh, drink and herd. And they're all shit faced. Some of them are wearing, like, you know, sorority and fraternity. Anyway, I opened it up. Many tanked use. Many tanked use go out to the developers of Parkitect. And, uh, and, oh, not to Parkitect, uh, well, them too, but many, many thank you, tank yous to, uh, Mr. Master Koenig of, uh, Ghost Time Games for at least dangling the possibility. He completely accepted yesterday, so we're just scheduling it. The fact that a developer is willing to make, you know, like an hour of time to talk to you know, free and open source, you know, game lunatic. Totally, totally, completely legitimate. Not always intoxicated while on air, while producing the show, with perpetually fired Ivor Molina as human chattel. I mean, you know, we're totally legit. I really appreciate uh, people who make time to talk with us. Um, yeah, and Jet Omero is a fucking exciting game. Uh, I got. I already have, like, half of my questions ran. I'm pumped. So, Ivor, hit him with the new and noteworthy. Let's get this show on the road. Prepare to be entertained. What the? Take back your episode, Gotham. <laughs> hit him with it. I was a North American fall when worm in my former life. Here are the newest and most noteworthy titles from this week. Yes! Excellent. Thank you, Ivor. Uh, we got a bunch of new and noteworthies. In fact, I was thinking of this episode just being, our feature just being these new and noteworthies, but we'll try to get through them very quickly. We had a backlog that I wanted to clear. So first off, in our new and... Oh, wow, that reminded me of the old deal section. Um, first off, we have Sudden Strike 4. S-U-D-D-E-N-S-T-R-I-K-E 4 which is the fourth game, evidently, in a real-time strategy series, which I bought. It was released uh, August 11, 2017, so it's over a month old. It's an expensive game, and it's had some weird fanboy purist kind of uh, negative reviews, but uh, recent reviews, mostly positive, 176. All reviews, mostly positive, 1,093. I'm unqualified to say anything about the, about Sudden Strike 4, because I have yet to play it, but I did buy it. Um, let's see if they have any... Uh, do, you got, do they have any good audio on this? Uh, it, it looks super pretty. It looks like um, a real-time strategy hybrid between uh, combat mission, Beyond Overlord, from Bar- or whatever it was called, from Barbarossa and Beyond, which was turn-based, demi-real-time, 
small unit um, strategy. This is like unit-based strategy uh, build itself as Sudden Strike is back. The beloved real-time strategy game series returns, this time with bigger battlefields, more units, better graphics, new scenarios, and legendary commanders with individual abilities, all of which makes Sudden Strike 4 more tactical and realistic than ever before. Um, yeah, I've never played any other games in the series, but the bottom line is, it's like a tank level tank, ship, plane, level, um, real-time strategy, World War II era. It's got infantry in there, too, but you can see, like, the individual members of, you know, anyway, yeah, so, that's Sunstrike 4, and I, it looks gorgeous, too. It's a little bit expensive, uh, but right now, until, wow, okay, it's on sale, but it doesn't say when the sale ends. Right now, it's 33% off at uh, $33.49 down from $49.99. Burlives, check, Purina Checkerboard Slacks, Foster Grand Wraparounds, $39.95 Merchandise, baby. So that is Sudden Strike 4. Um, super unbelievably good graphics. Looks like it is real-time strategy, though, so it hasn't been burning a hole in my ass. Um, or my pocket, or my mind. Let's have some more whiskey. Mm. Also, in our new and noteworthies, long-awaited, long-anticipated uh, sequel to a very successful, independently developed uh game franchise that actually has two different varieties of the same game universe. SteamWorld Dig. That's SteamWorld S-T-A-M-W-O-R-L-D D-I-G which got high marks. It's spin-off game uh, SteamWorld Heist uh, which you can find in previous episodes of this show. Fantastic game, great characters, blah. Steam World Dig 2, the sequel to the original game in the franchise, uh, came out this week. Super pumped about this. Steam World Dig 2 came out September 22nd, 2017, builds itself as Dig Deep gain riches and unearth the terrors of the underworld in this platform mining adventure influenced by classic Metroidvania style games so uh SteamWorld Dig I don't I never played the original SteamWorld but I did play did play, SteamWorld Dig but I did play SteamWorld Heist which was really cool because it's you know humanity is all dead and the future is ruled by uh these artificially intelligent robots who have created a demi-commando Cody and his radar men from the moon caliber 19 who just pre-depression 1930s era um hot jazz Dixieland hot jazz Dixieland simulacrum of uh steampunk uh, <laughs> shit so because, you know, the robots in the future, once all the humans are gone, why else would they need anything unless they had to be powered by steam, 
which is kind of cool. I hate steampunk. But anyway, SteamWorld Heist was fantastic. This looks like uh, SteamWorld Dig is a platformer, a Metroidvania platformer, according to their own blah. Um, it is brand new. I bought it. Haven't gotten a chance to play it yet. SteamWorld Dig 2 is $19.99. SteamWorld Dig and SteamWorld Heist, two independently developed uh, fan and critical favorites. In my case, super huge fan of SteamWorld Heist. Great characters. um, Great art. Check it out. Uh, then, uh, also in our new and noteworthy, Parkitect, which we mentioned at the top of the show, but just so it's official, Parkitect, the first game available for Linux, in which, you know, a modern fucking theme park design simulator. Awesome! Thank you, congratulations, Parkitect. And finally, in our new and noteworthy, oh, you know what? Let's see if SteamWorld Dig has any audio. Yeah, okay, that's not doing it for me. Ivor, I told you to fucking highlight the ones that have good audio. And finally, in our new and noteworthy, oh yeah, just to mention, this came out September 17th, 2017. It's super inexpensive. I I bought it. I have not gotten a chance to play it, but it launched with uh, Linux support, so I, I did boot it up. I did not actually press start. Escape Fantasy. E-S-C-A-P-E-F-A-N-T-A-S-Y. Um, now through September 29th, it is 40% off, down from $1.99 to $1.19. It's a side-scrolling platformer that builds itself with the following terse copy. Escape from a rare fantasy world. Beautiful puzzle-based game. So I'll probably never play it, but it was $1.19... Launched with Linux support, came out September 17, 2017, so like under 10 days ago, under 2 weeks ago. Thought I'd give it a plug. That's Escape Fantasy. Check it out. I have no idea if it's any good or not, but hey. For just launching with Linux support, sometimes that's that's enough. Sometimes that is enough. Launching with Linux support and also being super fucking unignorably cheap to buy. If you're asking prices zip fucking dirt if it's in if it's if it's under uh, 100 United States of America cents then it's kind of difficult to not get a mention on this show if you launch with Linux support so that's Escape Fantasy what's next Ivor what's next on the board we're never gonna make it man too much show we're having a fucking show show dose an over show oh my god he's over showing man show and tell it's show and tell, but this time, it's for keeps. Okay, so there we go. That's our new note worthy. What's next, Ivor? Oh! Our feature. Hit him with it, Ivor! Who do you think? Oh, my God. It's the Livians. The Livians! Never gonna let you down. I can read your mind. This week's feature. I can't read you. I can't read you. I can read your mind. Take it, Scooky. The Libyans! The Libyans! Alright, so as promised, our feature this week. Two indie games that I've been playing this week that are experimental in nature. 
first the first game that we're going to talk about is a game called Vulture, which is the less exciting of the two titles. The other game that we're going to talk about is called Trackless. All one word. T-R-A-C-K-L-E-S-S. But first, we're going to talk about Vulture. V-U-L-T-U-R-E. Which we mentioned on the show when it first came out as a new and noteworthy. Well, I, I think I've beaten it now. I'm pretty sure I've beaten it. It came out September 8th, 2017. Vulture is a top-down, old-school style um, write-in style slash Tiger Heli style top-down space shooter with a twist. What a twist! Um, Many tank use. What a twist. Disneyland! Vulture, the cool thing about Vulture is it combines the old school traditional idea of having a top-down space shooter like Raiden with the cool super let's build our own ship ideas from uh, borrowed from Minecraft, hybridized through uh, Captain Forever Remix, games like Reassembly, in which, you know, you get more powerful, and then you design your ship out of little blocks and stuff, um, and then customize it with weapons and shit, and always, you know, blah. Vulture is not an overwhelmingly impressive game in any respect. However, like, for instance, like, it's actual treatment of the ship customizations, although you can build your ships, and you will build your ships f- straight up from scratch eventually. They are all universally, ultimately going to be shaped with maximum amounts of hull. There, there's... What I'm saying here is, they didn't leave enough headroom, either technologically or, um, statistically, in terms of, like, you know, the statistical attributes astro- attributes of your top-down super cool custom design space fighter, there's not enough depth to the actual stats they factored into its design to really let you do anything that's crazy and beyond that, the fact that you design them on a grid with just like selecting little tiles and they're all voxels but this is a high-res like sprite editor without, like, an animation feature. So it's just like, you know, ah, you know, a frigate, a a small little space fighter is like a 16 by 16 blank grid, and then you click on the left, there's a little drop-down menu, and you can, like, select from the different types of tiles. So there's, like, hull, which gives you armor and stuff, um, system mountings, which, you know, can hold guns or engines, CPUs or power cores, which are actual, you know, they generate the, um, energy that everything on your ship runs off of. Special weapons, uh, you know, cosmetic shit, engines, which are important, because they de- they determine how fast you move, you know, plot divided by your mass, and shit like that. It's all very rudimentary, but the grids are all ultimately square, meaning that once you... The grids are, like I said, the, the the design grids are all square, meaning that once you have enough money and have found enough blocks and systems to make, you know, basically whatever you want, and then to buy, because you have to f- find the block in-game by destroying other enemies before it becomes unlocked in the shop, and then you can buy as many copies of it as you want, provided that you have the money. The fact that the design grid is actually a square means that ultimately once you have the money, you fill that entire square with guess what? 
a giant square ship. It's the simplest, fastest, some might say most joyless and humorless, missing the basic fundamental point of the game to design your own super cool two-dimensional space scrolling space shooter spaceship of your dreams. Well, yeah, I like having lots of weapons and lots of fucking power and total maneuverability. So every fucking tile in that grid is ultimately going to get used. And eventually, as you unlock the various ship sizes, because it goes from like the smallest little frigate fighter all the way up to uh, mothership, there's like maybe ten, eight ship weight classes in between the the first and last. It takes a long time to design a uh, a mothership. It takes a long time and a lot of tiles. Um, just a lot of hull tiles and a lot of fucking like, oh, well, this ship is gonna have fucking, you know, roughly what, a hundred fucking uh, energy reactors? Because that's how big it is. So, yeah. That removes kind of the humorless the, 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 um, what do you call it? The, the, uh, humorous playfulness of, oh, let's get creative here. No, instead, because it's got, like, a thousand fucking grid spaces, and each one has to be clicked on and assigned, you know, blah, 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 as you're building out your ship. It's not that you have to fill every one of them, but eventually, you're gonna want to fill every one of them, because you can put more systems on there, or have other things that your ship can do, and so ultimately all of your ships become square, and then by the time you are designing your mothership, which took me about, I would say, maybe a hundred minutes spread across like three days, um, but that was all design. That was before I could play with my mothership. This, the system, by the way, that, the, that Vulture presents you with for designing your ship and customizing your systems and stuff is very simple and it's actually easy to use and cosmetically it can be very gratifying um, and the variety of weapon systems and stuff that you can put on your ship is is interesting as well but other elements like ah, nuanced handling like my ability to move quickly and accurately without drift from left to right on the screen my ability to actually move uh, towards the front and back of the screen, which is like, you know, thrust and de-thrust, aerodynamic shit. All of that is fairly tertiary. It's pretty simple, and uh, n- almost zero depth beyond, like, a placeholder stat. So, ultimately, what you end up with by the time you- you're designing your first mothership is a giant fucking white because you- you- you're not even bothering with trying to recolor cosmetically you know, do anything kind of cool because you, you know this is like your seventh fucking big giant square you know, death ship and you know what you like by then, you like lots of weapons, you like all these different kinds of weapons, you want them in these certain places and blah 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 so it's just gonna become a giant fucking thousand I can't remember how many tiles go into a mothership but it's a lot of tiles, it's, it's way over 400 hull pieces to fill out the entire fucking potential game grid so you end up with a giant, yet another giant pseudo, almost entirely white square, and then you beat the game and then it sends you into the next mission which actually is a very dirty joke, because it I, I'm pretty sure that 
it's an endless mission, but they don't tell you that. And when no, when someone doesn't tell you that the mission that you just launched into may or may not be an endless mission, that's a generally speaking, unless it's like the most fun game ever, that's a designer who normally should get a kick in the balls and go to bed without supper. Because how am I to know if if this is really the fucking you know blah? Well, I knew by setting a goal, I was like, okay, fine, when I hit 300,000 points on this fucking thing, then I will be certain in my own my own little mind, because I can't disprove a negative, you know, that, ah, well, since there's, yeah, my best guess is that this is probably not an endless mission, which is, like, the assumption you would go into. Anyway, once we hit 300,000 points, which that was after it took me like 25 minutes to get to, you know, 200,000 points. It actually is like 175,000 points. So I'm like, okay, fine. Let's double this. Smoke some fucking weed. Because I don't even need to fucking play the game at that point. I'm just holding down the fire button because I'm so huge and I have so much shit that everything that sends at me just fucking dies or just goes away. Um, But that's the very end of the game. I hit 300,000. Now I'm like, ah, but I'm still not sure. Somewhere around 450,000. I was like, fuck this. I need to eat. And it's like one in the morning and I am fucking stoned. So I quit the mission and it said mission failed. So who knows? You might be able to m- beat that last mission. Um, Other than that, the cool thing about Vulture is that it, in spite of any of its problems, along with any of its shortcomings, including, like, a pretty fucking weird interface that forces you to use a mouse for the, uh, out-of-game game menus, like when you're, you know, designing your ship, or going to the shop, or picking which mission, listening to the mission briefing, you know, blah, blah, blah. All those dialogue boxes require a mouse. The game itself, in-game, when you're actually flying your creation in a shooter mode, that requires a gamepad. The irony here, though, is that the gamepad, it doesn't recognize the start button as a pause button. I can't remember if it does or if it doesn't, but it's some combination that is similar to what I'm about to describe. It doesn't recognize that... Yeah, actually, I'm pretty sure it does not recognize the start button on a gamepad as the pause button. You have to press escape on the keyboard. Then, you know, you go get, you know, your vaporizer. Again, Cue it up. Make sure it's it's ready. Get nice and nice and nice and eager. Then you take you know your fucking five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty, seventy five hits. And oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you go back to play your fucking stupid space shooter game by picking up the controller and you press start and that doesn't do anything. So you have to put down the controller and then press escape to get back into. Anyway, this whole like ah we're going to make you use half of both of your major control surfaces along with the mouse and the gamepad. Um, that's a major deficiency that was very irritating and almost kept me from playing the game at all. But once you get into it, and I was kind of trying not to like this game by the time I'd gone 45 minutes into it, I found myself pretty sucked into it. Especially if you, like I, live in Las Vegas, where we have legal weed. Vulture combines, like, just enough creative 
stuff with enough collectible stuff and enough like uh, ship crafting stuff and enough of the illusion of an economy and almost enough of the illusion of actual depth of gameplay in terms of its shooter mechanics such that by the time you get sucked into it you feel kind of dirty but you'll play it for like two and a half hour long blocks it's a shorter game you'll be grateful for it but it is kind of a unique experiment that they do manage to pull off semi-successfully especially in the sense that they make it addictive enough that I beat it and uh, it took about eight hours to beat it and I'm not averse entirely to the notion of loading it up again and having another go maybe when I'm really super stoned and plan to be up for like three hours like we're talking like oh we're gonna we're gonna smoke a bunch of weed we're gonna get high twice before we pass out tonight baby we're gonna live the high life maybe under those circumstances I might try to kick that fucking potentially insidious endless uh levels ass again so that's vulture I I can't say that it earns our highest fucking you know award which would mean that it's entirely worth full price um, that's the highest honor that Best Links Games Podcast can accord, especially at $14.99. But keep an eye out for it. It scratched a particular itch for me. I love space shooters. I love crafting. I love being able to upgrade my ship in any game. So Vulture kind of scratched a bunch of unique retro flavored itches with just enough. And they pull it all off. Like, it would be one thing if it was just a catastrophically awful failure, but they do manage to actually make this game that is kind of like Raiden, where you build your own ship. So there you go. That's Vulture. It's about $14.99, $15.99. Single player only. Yeah, $15. $14.99. That's Vulture. So hats off to them. That's why we're including them in our two indie experiments for this week, our feature. Our second game in this feature is the aforementioned Trackless. T-R-A-C-K-L-E-S-S. Now, Trackless is fucking really, really interesting in terms of being an innovative, independently developed experiment in game design and play mechanics. Here's the deal. Trackless combines two of my favorite things ever that that prior to this have been completely incompatible. The idea of the conceptual illusion of freedom that accompanied the original text-based adventure games along with any point and clicker that also allowed for text-based uh specific clarification for user actions like such as Maniac Mansion for the old Commodore uh, C64 or Day of the Ten- I get Day of the Tentacle and Maniac Mansion for C64 confused because I was actually once a younger person um, and now that I'm a vastly fucking hideously horrendously older person it's difficult to tease out which one was the one that I played that summer that I, I stayed with my cousins who had the C64 but the idea was that, okay, fine, I can use the keyboard arrows or whatever to move around and, like, the, you know, new 
trackball. There was no mouse, actually. That was the thing. Um, I could use the the keyboard to move my two-dimensional sprite character, like King's Quest, around the environment. But if I want to, like, open or take or look at something or combine something or use something on something, then you just, you know, entered it as plain text and the, the interpreter that was built into the game would execute the command and then animate the results and stuff. Um, which, in my humble opinion, to this day, is an infinitely superior, more transparent, less um, claustrophobic, and impossibly liberating uh, design concept that has been bastardized, simplified, and exploited, especially over the most recent two years of independent gaming via Steam in the form of quote-unquote visual novels or whatever, which are like poor, poor simulacrums of legitimate text-based adventure games. But anyway, what do I mean? What does Trackless do with this? Trackless combines the endless sense of freedom that you get from Zork. You are... Honestly, as the older I get, the more entirely convinced I am that the one of the best designs for video games ever is actually just a text-based adventure game using, you know, the Inform compiler these days to write them. But, you know, the old info Infocom compiler or whatever, a la Zork and its, you know, progenitors and uh, sequels and etc. You are standing in a field. There's a farmhouse to the north of you. There's a Forest to the west, there's a small mailbox here. Eat mailbox. What other type of game has allowed you to just type that in without suggesting it to you? While also being able to completely respond to any attempt you may make to defy Zork or, you know, its interpreter. Um, you know, like, fuck mailbox. What a dirty mouth you have. That is awesome illusion of free will. Partially because it does actually... It's a inclusive, not exclusive um, behavioral model to introduce to the player, to present the player with, as opposed to any other type of game that actually has visual components or more highly scripted um, simplifications of the Zork you know text-based adventure game, or Xenos, Stranger Beware, whatever, you know, the text-based adventure game as a genre, it doesn't tell you, I mean, sure, you can ask it for help, you can learn how to save games, and back in the day, though, there it came with a big printed manual, and you played it with a big fucking slab of graph paper, because you had to map it out yourself, um, which made you, it was like radio, it's why I prefer radio and audiobooks to fucking movies, and, and, uh, you know, virtual reality games, because the pictures are so much better on the radio, but um so there's always been this fundamental conflict in my mind, between that ultimate illusion, where nothing is explicitly excluded from or, you know, the, the user is not specifically told at the beginning your available actions during any moment during this game are take, use, lick, um vibrate and activate oscilloscope. No, it's whatever the fuck you want. So it's like, oh, there's you're standing in a room, there's an oscilloscope here. 
Look at oscilloscope. Oh my god! The oscilloscope glows with a menacing, you know, blah, 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 blah. The, the interpreter processes, parses, and then deals with the actual verbs and stuff, and then interprets it into game logic, and then gives you the output of it. Oh, activate oscilloscope. Mate with oscilloscope. Mating with the oscilloscope does not seem to do anyone any good. Oh no, your landon fizzles and dies. Look out, you're likely to be eaten by a lurking guru. Move north. There, I cannot, you cannot move north. You're standing in the dark. You might be, any at any moment, you might be eaten by a lurking guru. Kill. Kill what? What would you like to kill? Me. What would you like to kill the me with? Myself. I'm sorry, you don't have the you. You have died. You have walked headfirst into the slavering fangs of a lurking guru. That is fucking brilliant. Interactivity also meets all of my definitions for art in terms of the medium of video of the video game and imaginative exploration and interactive artistic experience that occurs not on not in a static uh, completely pre-configured way but ha- it also includes the illusion of free will allowing the actual individual um, audience member in this case also known as a player to to participate and interact with and have a legitimate human experience that is their own human experience that's the you know the glory of the me- the medium of the video game and it's the, that basic central premise is present throughout all great games um throughout the entire history of video game design from Zork to Galaga Major Havoc to Bayonetta to Prince of Persia from the OG Prince of Persia to Taipan to fucking Castlevania Symphony of the Night to Metroid Prime to you know whatever great games all share that fundamental that's the that's the kernel of the artistic merits of the video game and it's also what makes the medium of the video game the most powerful and unique medium for creative medium uh, that uh, humanity has ever known and represents a revolution the likes of which has not been seen by our species since the original uh, discovery of the primal creative mediums, you know, storytelling cave painting, meaning diagramming, drawing um, then eventually music Fire cave rhythm bang two rocks together oh we got music oh okay so now we have ritual then you have the advent of theater which is you know religious or whatever it's a, it's 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 a it's a ceremony or you know earth dance or whatever oh then you get theater then that becomes divorced from the gods then you start using all three to tell stories then bam Opera of the Renaissance, the ultimate and first multimedia experience, because you had stagecraft, you had acting, you had story, you had music, you had uh, a score, a libretto, and uh, the technical implications of performing all of this in sequence, in a set sequence for you know live audience with live, blah blah blah. Then you get eventually you get that simplified and repackaged. In a in a tech, technically way newer and more innovative uh, format, but it's really just relying on the same core 
um, artistic mediums. Once you get after you know the advent of uh, opera, the Renaissance, multimedia of the Renaissance. It's not until really uh, you have uh, the advent of the motion picture that these things. But anyway, anyway, big weird challenge. How do you take what I guess many people regard as being uninteresting, automatically boring, and not exciting at all, which I see as just the exact opposite? Um, the idea of of playing a game that exists only in a text based terminal without any sort of graphics other than maybe ASCII art. Eventually, I think there was like a mini map in one of the Zork games. I think it was like Zork three or whatever, but that was a awful bastardization. the The greatest was Zork two, my humble opinion. Everything else, you should have to diagram it yourself, map it yourself, fucking figure it out yourself. Take golden, take, take it, egg taken. That is a magical thing. Eat egg. The jewel encrusted egg w- wouldn't agree with you. Touch grew. Fiddling with the lurking Gru doesn't seem to do anything. Anyway, that's awesome. That's a conversation. That is an interactive experience, like having your fortune told. So anyway, the problem is how to combine that magic, because it's as close to free will, the illusion of free will as you can get in video games. While still being an informed critical player. And throughout the years, we've just been trying to simplify and repackage that into more graphically pretty or simpler or more easy to understand or less difficult to play with, um, less challenging to the ultimate end user, different varieties of play mechanics and and ways of presenting information and performing the three basic main fucking functions of a video game in terms of how it deals with interactivity from the player. Well, it responds to input. That's number one. How it responds either visually with a, like, you know, moving the character. Um, you know, from left to right, moving, act, pushing actual pixel, pixels from left to right. Or left to, or from right to left. Or, you know, up and down. Or, you know, when the character, pr- when the player presses the fire button, a missile is launched. Also, generally, simultaneously, the second way that games communicate is via sound. Ah, well, firing the missile makes this sound, firing the laser makes a different sound. When other ships fire at you, they make this sound, and when you explode, it makes this sound. Blah. How do you combine and reconcile the simplicity of the modern, most modern forms of gaming? That would be the first-person shooter. It, you know, rendered in either 3D or pseudo 3D, a la Castle Wolfenstein, you know, like with instead of full 3D character models for like, you know, other characters that you run into, NPCs and enemies and stuff, they're actually two dimensional sprites that are, you know, no matter which way you look at them, they're always facing the same direction and at the same orientation. How do you reconcile the idea of the freedom of the text based adventure game with the f- visually easier to navigate sense-making simulacrum of a, you know, real-life 3D world rendered in first-person 3D. That is what Trackless attempts to do. It is an uneven attempt, but it is so brilliant 
in the premise that it uses to try to tackle this concept and is so much actual fun to play even though it is obviously only a proof of concept with only the simplest most rudimentary uh, attempt at or you know pretense of a plot and characters and puzzles that are not obviously puzzles but of course they're obviously puzzles because it's obviously a fucking demo let's see if I can make the engine do this and let's see if I can write a parser that can handle this the thing about trackless is it combines the ability to interact with any interactable object that you run into in this first person shooter world via the interface of your cell phone which you always have in your right hand it always you can move it so it dominates like the lower right you know third of the screen or you can kind of stow it a little bit but it is through finding an object like let's say you're walking around and you don't know where to go and oh look here's a latch well you click on the latch the latch isn't highlighted visually or anything nothing is in the entire game universe the things that you can interact with though when you mouse over them there's an interactable you know icon instead of the normal default crosshair or whatever reticule left clicking displays the description of whatever the the interactable thing is in the phone screen so that's great because it it helps not break the immersiveness of the first person shooter idea even though it's not a shooter at all it's it's an adventure game so like okay you cl- uh, this latch appears to be locked it seems as if uh, you need to turn over your luggage first or whatever okay if you right click on it though and some things you can interact with directly like this other things you can't directly some things you have to interact with indirectly by interacting directly with other nearby objects and stuff all of which gets solved by the game's actual logic seamlessly so it's not like you know if you need to get your luggage from place A to place B and hand it over to person C after you know registering at this computer kiosk D you don't have to worry about telling the porter that the luggage is that you brought the luggage for them to take because you registered no he'll just take it you know it's simplified it's streamlined but the coolest thing is when you right click on an interactable object you get this little text entry like it's it's just a straight up like HTML style or Xcode even text entry box where you're allowed to type whatever the fuck you want it only processes one word now the this is really cool and you get you, you score points by interacting with and finding everything but also solving puzzles using what the game regards as the best word now the only limitation to this that is very obvious and profoundly felt throughout you know your demo of it i've not beaten the demo but i've gone pretty fucking far and i've done a lot of shit in trackless um i played it for an hour and a half I wonder how much this game is right now, actually. Let me make sure. $9.99, and it's worth it. The visual style of the world that Trackless presents you with is like a cel-shaded line drawing, fully 3D, explorable, um, 3D 
cell shaded you know it's like everything is a projection of an illustration as a texture slash material onto basically flat panels that are then presented as voxels. It's it's entirely 3D. I mean, it's a full fucking 3D game. Made with Unity, if I remember correctly. But here's the thing about Tracklist. The only major limitation to it is that it can only process one word when, when you're interacting with an object. So, like, you can't say take the, take the paper. Like, it doesn't know what that is. The other thing is it has to be a verb. So that kind of sucks. However, the way this plays out is surprisingly challenging but also while also being very fluid and giving the player the entire sense of free will in a universe in which much more may be possible than they can, you know, currently imagine from a, 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 a design standpoint. So, for instance, like, um, there are rusty gears that, you know, blah. There's some rusty gears that are mounted into some machinery. Clockwork gears. They're ru- These gears appear to be rusted. Uh, you know, a couple feet away, you find some fucking... You find a can of silicate spray grease or whatever. WD-40. When you try to interact with the WD-40 and you got the little window, well, what could you do? You could say take, but you don't have an inventory in, in trackless, so take is totally pointless. The game tastefully ignores take, generally. Unless there's a context in which you can actually take and move something, but it's not like that. It's not like where you have to pick up something and move it to another place. It, it, it fills in the logic there. So to get the silicate grease onto the rusty gears, you could say spray when interacting with the silicate grease. Even though they're not, you know, like feet away from rusty gears, the, the animation, the whole in first person shit, will totally like ah oh, look here's the animation for you spraying the rusty gears with, or you could say degrease maybe, or you could say um, shake maybe. Some of these will work, some of them won't. Most of the, you know, things that can actually be interacted with in this way, and there's a lot of them, require a certain sequence to solve uh, an obtuse puzzle as you, uh, what do you call it, free roam slash navigate through what is essentially a very heavily scripted series of, you know, locked doors, jump boots, and blah, but there are no real fetch quests. It's like it has real traces of brilliance but beyond that it has super almost limitless capacity and potential for being the first entry in a new way to make um, an, an adventure role playing game that is both visually incredible and, and stimulating fun to play for even the most impatient young people while also stretching and not inhibiting that's the big thing, not inhibiting the imagination of the player that's that's the secret One, that's once the real interactivity happens, which requires the sense that I suspend the fact that I know that there is no free will in this, this is a pre-programmed system that was designed by several people intentionally, once you suspend that, 
that's where the real magic of the medium of the video game happens because it creates actual experiences for the player that are not the experience of art or an artistic work to the player, but they are their own experiences of being in the game. And they be, they go in line to our human little monkey brains as human beings, as things that we have done and seen. And that's the cool thing. By not inhibiting overtly the potential for what you can enter into, what might work, what won't work, what what does work. There is not just one answer to you know most of the solutions. Some of them do have just one answer because it's like the obvious answer. It's like, oh yeah, okay. On, you know, blah. But there's there was an interesting sequence that happened to me later in my play se- play session in 90 minutes where I found this laptop that was blue screened and eventually within like fucking five minutes and maybe through seven different interactions with this blue screen laptop I had not only rebooted it uh, I had reconfigured its network connection to control the ferry on which I was on but I used and I found and booted up and installed um, an integrated development environment and wrote a program you know, just by using single words, but you had to know what they were. You had to have been familiar with. <laughs> so, if it was your first time at the rodeo for fucking writing uh, C plus plus, or you know, working with an IDE, if you had, ne- if you never knew what an IDE was, then that was probably the end of that entire solution, that entire puzzle. But eventually, I wrote a program, compiled it, ran it, and then executed it to hack into the ferry control system and override, you know, blah blah blah, without having to pay a fare. I don't know if there was a way to do that without having to do all that, but like if I could have just paid the fare instead, but I was interacting with the laptop and whatever, and eventually I fucking, you know, my character in, you know, super shorthand, I you know, you don't have to know any like programming language or anything. You do have to know the outlines of how to fucking do this shit, though. Um, that's a very complicated, very cool thing that was not like overtly part of the gameplay or part of the bill of goods or the sales copy or anything like that the thing is the fact that I was not limited prior to playing the game with the sense of a limited amount of a limited range of actions and options for the ways in which I could control and the nuances with which I could control the ways in which my character acted and interacted with objects and other characters within the game such as you can take, look, or read. Those are the only, you know, verbs. Those are the only available actions throughout the entirety of the game. Oh, and help, which will display this menu. Without being artificially limited from the outset with, you know, a strict, you know, description of what is possible, I was allowed, even though this, even though trackless is obviously a proof of concept and is fairly simple, and it's not the world's greatest game. It is a fucking fantastic proof of concept by not limiting me via, you know, really any strict instruction. Eventually, when I came to a laptop, I just started interacting with it, and eventually I ended up fucking hacking the ferry system. 
super cool. And at no point was there any sort of complex, hey, listen, let me pull you from the game world. Hey, listen, now you have to fucking read the tutorial. Or now you have to fucking do what I say. No, you're doing it wrong. I mean, all of that shit. Or here's a dialogue tree. Or here's an action tree. What would you like to do with this? Would you like to press the button? Would you like to lick the button? You know, blind, you could select one. You know, all of that stuff inhibits the illusion of free will, which makes the which diminishes and damages both the power and magic and effectiveness of the video game as an artistic medium. Trackless is the first game that really combines first-person shooter visual explore uh, ease of exploration. I'm just walking around using my fucking air, you know, WASD, you know, blah, I can go anywhere, more or less with a great fucking compelling art style with just enough of a kind of a pseudo story to tie the whole thing together um, and enough different types of puzzles and proof of concepts to show that he was capable, that the developers which is 12 East Games, props go out to them and I can't wait to see what they do now this proof of concept has been released, even though it is not called a proof of concept, it's a it builds itself as an atmospheric first-person exploration and puzzle game. Um, so it doesn't say, this is just a proof of concept. But that's what it is. And it's a very successful proof of concept. It goes on to say, inspired by classic games like Zork, Shadowgate, and King's Quest. Trackless uses text input that allows you to interact with characters and objects. Which is fucking rad. And unlike anything that really has been done before. Since Maniac Mansion... King's Quest, you know, blah. The good old Sierra era of Space Quest, you know, etc., where I can move around and die all the time for failing to do exactly what was necessary, but I can open closet door, you know, then close closet door, then the the vaccine patrol or whatever fucking marches by and ha ha, aren't I clever, Roger Wilco. Well, the game didn't tell you that you could open and close closet doors, but you have a fucking text-based interface and the benefit of a whole fucking, you know, pixel animation. You got a little character who's like a guy and there are objects, you can understand them and the geography, you don't have to map it with graph paper and etc. So all of the cool, um, super profound f- illusory freedoms, the illusion of free will, totally maintained limited only by the user's imagination and you get a cool response sometimes like what you know kill what would you like to, my uh what would you like to kill the me with myself i'm sorry you don't have the you oh you've died you've wandered into the slavering fangs of a lurking grew a magical moment in my game history experience one which remains even in my memory um as compelling today as it was back then cuz i walked fucking into the fangs of slavering and alerting. But you're having a direct conversation with the developers, but it's beyond the developers at that point because the illusion of free will is such that you forget that you're playing a game, and that is when artistically, the medium of the video game is most effective and capable of providing its most unique thing. The actual ability to create memories of real experiences in the mind of the player. So that's trackless. Fucking radical experiment. It's 10 bucks. If you like text-based adventure games at all, pick up trackless just to support these guys. I can't wait. I mean, this game got me really thinking about 
what I things that I've been trying to do both with the inform compiler, RenPy, the idea of visual novels, the idea of having a game engine, of you know being able to you know use Unity to render 3D worlds or 2D worlds or whatever kind of worlds I want. Well, yeah, how do, how do, Trackless is the first game that really brings all of those things together um, in a very cool way. That's very new, experimental, and it's worth supporting if you like text-based adventure games. Now, so that, that that's our feature. That's almost our show. We have two deals that I want to mention real fast. I have or no music. And then we'll get out of here at just under an hour and 20 minutes. Our deals this week. First of all, Insurgency, I-N-S-U-R-G-E-N-C-Y, the predecessor, the, 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 um, it's a Counter-Strike, uh, tactical shooter, Counter-Strike-esque tactical shooter that was developed, uh, from the ground up, um, to be multiplayer, uh, realistic, first person, online, uh, what do you call it, um, goal-oriented, like, you know, either command, command and control points or plant the bomb kind of scenario oriented, scorable um six on six tactical shooter one of the best ever, very realistic lots of equipment very difficult almost as popular among a certain subset of psychopaths as Counter-Strike Insurgency, if you want to ever give it a try, well now you have no excuse because now through October 1st, Insurgency is 85% off at $1.49. You have to buy that. Now, even more importantly, and not... Splatter Blood Red Edition, which is a game that we've talked about over the last three months, several times, in short interstitial bursts, Splatter Blood Red Edition is a top-down zombie blastem fest a la the original Postal from back in the day, 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 day. It is really, really good. Especially if you want to just shoot a lot of fucking zombies in surprisingly interactive, polished environments with upgradable weapons, and the game is really difficult, lots of zombies, but also it's a blastem fest and has a nice checkpoint system so you don't have to even worry about saving. So you can just get really, really stoned and kill a lot of fucking zombies in the top-down, old-school, semi-retro, beautifully, beautifully drawn, like, everything about it, like, the from the creepy lighting effects at times, to um, the uh, actual weapon characteristics, to the blood spray, and the zombies, and the zombies, and the carnage, and the vehicles, even. Um, all of the highly detailed, well, Splatter Blood Red Edition, which runs great on Linux, was only recently ported over like the last six months, I want to say, to Linux, finally. Splatter Blood Red Edition, now through September 28th, 90% off. $0.49. Meaning that you can't even buy a newspaper would, would cost you the purchase price of like five copies of Splatter Blood Red Edition at 49 cents a throw, 90% off. If you like retro games, you like top down, if you remember old school postal, which cheers Joe Jokemon Kendall, good old friend, introduced me to once upon a time and explained the merits of it to me as I was horrified and then got me addicted to postal back in the day. day. Um, if you remember that game, like the top down one man against the entire world filled with carnage, 
Lots of violence. Not much thinking. Splatter Blood Red Edition is absolutely for you. It's a first-class title. Um, in this well-worn genre. 49 cents, can't argue with it. Now through September 28th. Pick it up. So, to recap, our new and noteworthy, just because it was so long ago, Sudden Strike 4, SteamWorld Dig 2, Parkitect, Escape Fantasy, honorable mention there, and then uh, check out this week's column for Jet, Jet Omero, Hero of the Universe, our print review of it, and uh, check back next week in next week's episode, this Friday, hopefully at our regular bat time, uh, to hear our awesome fucking interview with the incredibly gracious, I'm hoping, unless he backs out, in which case he's a bastard and will pay! I'll dispatch Ivor to him, slaughter him in his sleep and destroy all that he loves. But that's only if he backs out. And he's not going to back out because he's a nice guy. Master Koenig from uh, Ghost Time Games, Jed Omero. Next week, this weekend, Tune in to hear the interview. That'll do us. More whiskey. Yar, strike your colors, you brazen wench. No need to expose your superstructure. Cheers, kids. Four or five times. A good idea. Four or five times. Hi there. There is delight in doing things right. Four or five times. It is I, E.B. Farnham. Maybe I'll cry. I'll get you a drink. And if I die, I'm gonna try four or five times. Do you like to play? We like to play. I like you. We like to sing. It only runs on Linux. We like to go. Yaddy yaddy yo. Four or five times. We're gonna have such fun. Bebop one. You're becoming hysterical. Bebop two. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Bebop three. Yaddy yaddy. Four or five times. There is no Windows version of weaponized chess. Boy, this is fucking ponderous, man. Ponderous, fucking ponderous. It only runs on Linux. It's not a problem. You alienated part of America. I alienated crazy people. I like it very much. It is I, E.B. Farm. You're becoming hysterical. I'm here. I'm there. I'm fucking everywhere. I'm the Eggman. The best Linux games podcast is brought to you by Blue Wizard is about to die. Now available for the first time as an ebook on Amazon.com. To subscribe to the podcast using a Linux-based podcatcher like Podracer, or to see our YouTube gameplay videos, please visit www.bestlinuxgames.com. Also, join our Steam community group, Best Linux Games, Friends Cookie Sprite, and follow him on Twitter at VegasWriter. BLGP is also brought to you by the Radio Control Room Project. For details, please visit www.rcrproject.com or rfihc.com. Zig thanks you. For great justice.